Oh, hey, Kindred. What's going on? Um, I will say tonight, uh, this is not how I hope to deliver the message that I prepared for the week. Um, I woke up on the 4th of July with a sore throat and I thought, yeah, I'd been out at a concert with some friends the night before and we were talking really loud and laughing a lot. And I thought I just overdid it and talked too much, yelled too much, laughed too much. But as the day went on, I started feeling fevery and strange. And you can all guess at this point, three years in, what is going on? I tested positive halfway through the 4th of July. Um, it was really a bummer. I've been in the basement since until now to record this. Um, I'm fine. I'm totally good. I, I really am. Um, just on quarantine, trying to shake this. I have periods of fever still and all that kind of garbage that most of us know and have been through. Uh, but this weekend, Sunday or something, I should be out of quarantine and back home among uh, the, the productive members of society. So pray for my family. I really don't, you know, obviously don't want them to get it. Everybody so far is good. Um, so uh, just pray, yeah, pray maybe that that would be the case. But I do want to deliver this message to you guys tonight because tonight is the night that we close out the study of Hebrews. And for me personally, uh, I've really enjoyed reading Hebrews, studying it. I've learned a ton. Uh, I know Lindsay did too. Uh, if you're, if you haven't been around a little bit, Lindsay is on uh, her first week of maternity leave. She hasn't had the baby yet as of this recording, uh, Tuesday, this Tuesday, Tuesday night. Um, but, uh, you know, six or seven years after she gets back, uh, you know, after she has her time, uh, we're excited to have her back. Uh, we have a whole bunch of really great things planned. Some people coming in to teach in the month of August that I think you're really going to enjoy. Uh, Tommy and I will be around. Uh, both of us are, I think we're both only missing a week here or there, you know, uh, pandemic, <laughs> pandemic, uh, you know, pending or whatever, but uh, I'm really excited uh, for these these three months and October will be here before I know it. And Lindsay will be back with us. I'm gonna begin the end of Hebrews uh, with this verse that the writer gives us in 1228. It says this, it says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And that's Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so that's why I want to explore tonight for just a few minutes what that means and what that is. The 4th of July is one of my favorite days of the year, which is why it was even more of a bummer to get sick that day. And there's a lot of reasons why I love it. And, you know, for one, nobody's mad about a holiday that can fall on any day of the week. Like I love the years that we get like a random Thursday off and then we all kind of just take Friday off and we have this really long weekend and it's a good time. That's really awesome. The second is that we are celebrating something truly amazing uh, is that we live in a fantastic place and we have freedoms that a lot of other places, I'd say most other places, even historically uh, as well as, you know, currently, uh, they don't. And also the, the third thing for me is that my oldest son was born on the 4th of July. Um, that's how much I love America. I, I will that. But he, uh, he turned 15 this year, which is absolutely insane. He got his uh, permit today and I was sick in the basement, so I didn't have to be the first one to drive with him, but we are so proud of him. And we love that day for that reason too. Many of you know that I love history. I'm a student of history, I'm a fan of history. I could read just about anything. I love the, the more micro it gets, the more I love it. And I really love that the, one of the ways that historians talk about America, about our nation that we love, is we call it the American experiment. And it's a little scary, honestly, uh, and maybe really poignant because the implication really is this, it's, it's that no nation has ever done what we have been doing for 246 years now. 
No, no nation's ever had a democracy that, that, that really played out the ways, the way that ours does, uh, for that long. And I hope it's so many more like we all do, right? Uh, it's fragile though, precisely because of how unusual it is. One of my favorite history genres, uh, has always been the Roman Empire and specifically, uh, how it went from world domination to a disaster. And again, that's scary because it was a really long time. And so for at least 2000 years, we've had uh, the chance to try to figure out why it fell and what happened to Rome. It's also the backdrop against the writing that we call the New Testament. Most of the things that we study in church were written during this period of Roman occupation and dominance and rule. So it makes it even more interesting. And to get the scope of this, this book Hebrews that we've been in for the last, you know, I don't even know, 13 weeks, I don't know what it's been, uh, 10 weeks. Uh, it was written around AD 63 or 64, most people agree. Now, it happens to be the exact same time frame that uh, the Roman Empire captured Jerusalem. And, and, and so at the same time that this letter is going out to these early Jewish followers of Jesus is about the same time that Rome came in. And part of Rome's rule included allowing religious freedom. It made, uh, it made it possible for the Jewish people to become Christians uh, legally, even at that point. But it opened up a whole bunch of other things. We're going to get to some of that later in the talk, but it also opened up some polyistic, uh, polytheistic weird stuff for, for, the, for the people. But the chance for Christianity to grow amongst this Jewish population uh, and the, the people that this letter was written to coincides perfectly with this time frame. So the Jewish people, uh, like so many others, toiled under this Roman rule for another 400 plus years after this. Uh, if you put it in the terms that maybe we can understand, it's nearly twice as long as our nation, uh, America, has been in existence, that this experiment has been going on. There was still that much more, double that much more time left uh, at the time of this letter. But eventually, through social cracks, through political cracks, through wars and invasions and mistakes and bad leadership, the Roman Empire started to crumble. You know, and it took a long time. Uh, anything with a lot of money does, right? It took at least two generations before the actual end of the empire came. At my age, and some of you are with me, a little bit older, a little bit younger, the, the closest thing that I have to compare that to would be the USSR uh, and how all of a sudden it went from dominance uh, to, to, to crack showing up and, and going nowhere. The New England Patriots, another great example. At some point, these things fall apart, right? It, it was over, but it left marks and this feeling that maybe it still held influence and power and still had something to say to people's lives. So nevertheless, this kingdom that felt eternal, it felt like it was never going away, was done. And a bunch of us can really feel that maybe reverberate through our minds and our hearts and our souls because I think it crosses over into a whole bunch of things. It crosses over into our very lives and, and work, maybe in friendships and, and love. This thing felt like it was never going to end, like this was it. And then it got weird and you couldn't wait for it to end. Or this love, this relationship or this marriage, we made these promises, but it didn't go like we planned it to. This thing that we wanted to be eternal ended up being not so much, right? We put a lot of stock, uh, a lot of faith, a lot of hope into kingdoms. And the ones that we pick maybe feel like they're eternal, and that's why we pick them. But when they get shaken, or I guess so when they get shaken, our understanding, our hope, our very faith 
at, at how things are supposed to go or what they're supposed to be, it understandably, it, it gets thrown off too. The truth is this, is that we are most often surrounded by shakable kingdoms, by things that aren't going to last, the things that are temporary. So that's what makes this thing in Hebrews that the writer's offering us so unusual and so attractive. The offer, and I want to be really clear on this, is that following Jesus gives us a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that, that nothing, it can't be shaken by anything at any time in any way. So remember, this writer is addressing the original audience of this letter, these Jewish followers of Jesus that I mentioned before. And the idea or the understanding that we have now is that many of them were thinking, this is hard. This is complicated. This maybe isn't going perfectly. What I had before, maybe it wasn't real and right, but it worked. And so they were thinking, maybe I should just go back to that traditional way or that easier thing or or whatever that might be. And so this letter was written to convince them Jesus is the best. It has something still in store for you. So the writer, he says, pay attention. Pay attention to finding factors of this kingdom that you are just starting out in that is a really good one. Don't walk away because things got difficult or because people got difficult. He covers both of these ideas at the start of chapter 12, which in the ESV translation I love, it's entitled, Do Not Grow Weary. So as chapter 12 shifts to us, the idea starts out like this, that sometimes when life gets difficult and, and we can explain why it did, but sometimes life gets difficult and we can't explain why it did, the, the Hebrews writer says that resisting sin to the point of shedding blood is sometimes required to get through it. But when we're unable to do that, sometimes God gets our attention in, in other ways. So I want to be really clear about what this is not teaching as well as what it is teaching. So let's read these verses together first, and I want to make sure to do that. So verse 12, 5 and 6 says this, Have you completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. And then it says this, They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. Let's talk about earthly parents. But God disciplines us for our good, in order that we might share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those that have been trained by it. So I want you just to, to notice for a second a few of the words used in there. Encouragement, love, acceptance, sharing. Uh, these, these things are they're connected to these end goals uh, of what this writer is calling holiness, a concept, a theological concept of being more like God himself, of sacrificing our wants and desires to align with his. And then also righteousness, which is really essentially, my favorite way to say it is being made whole by Jesus. So what this is not teaching is really important too. And, and it's not teaching the scary thing that maybe churches or organized religions that you've been a part of or some pastors that maybe in the past you've had, these things that they've held over other people's heads and that I fear uh, most people who aren't part of the church really truly believe. And it's this, that God's punishing people with hardships like disease or sickness or poverty or things in that realm. It's just not the teaching here. It's just not the teaching of the Bible. 
but, but a lot of people believe that it is. Hebrews is after a different point altogether, that God has the best in mind for us and will leverage the results of our own sin, our own ignorance, the things that we choose and the things that are done to us in order to get us to that place of holiness, that place of righteousness that he truly wants us to be in. N.T. Wright, uh, this writer and scholar, he, he says this, says, it may come as a shock to many Christians to discover that there lies ahead of them a life in which God, precisely because he is treating us as sons and daughters, will refuse to spoil us or ignore us, will refuse to let us get away forever with rebellion or folly, with sin or stupidity. He has his ways of alerting his children to the fact that they should either pause and think again or turn around and go in the opposite direction or get down on their knees and repent. Now, this is all part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that has the ability to sustain sustain us and itself as the very best place for all of us to be, for us to get the things that we need to get from a God who cares greatly about us. God wants the best for us. He wants us to have and be at our best, and he will parent us into it. And so that kingdom holds so much possibility, as we see next in Hebrews, the idea that this holiness, this total devotion to God is even possible. Uh, the characteristics of life and the unshakable kingdom start to unfold as Hebrews tells us this. It says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Uh, a few things for us to consider here that are really important. And one is this, we are in this together. We belong to each other. And we can't push each other towards the end goal of being like Jesus without that unity. But two, we can also make others worse and make others fall away. Now, the bitter root reference is meant to recall again, if you were here a few weeks ago, that the, the exodus uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, where the Jewish people were leading slavery under the leadership of Moses. This was supposed to, again, recall the complaining Israelites, that, that, that they complained and insinuated that God was against them throughout this journey that became 40 years in the desert. This passage is telling us that for the kingdom to stay unshakable, that, that we need to keep distance from those that only want to tear things down, that only want to poke holes in everything, that only want to complain, that see it as their job to be the troublemaker. That is behavior that shakes kingdoms. Uh, the best advice that I got recently in the last few, year my, few years of my life was this. You don't have to subject yourself to, to repeated negativity or other patterns of behavior out of someone just because they tell you that you do. It's changed my life. You don't have to let your kingdoms be shaken by that behavior. The, the writer that includes a few other things. It includes sexual immorality and laziness together, it's, which seems a little strange at first. But really, it's saying that the, the, the lazy trade the best for temporary moments. And so that's why these things fall together. The writer uses Esau from Genesis, if you were here for that story. It's the account 
of him training his status as the firstborn of his dad. He would be, you know, the, the, the heir of all that his father had. His entire empire. He traded it for a hot meal. It wasn't even, it was an, an app, it was soup. It was an appetizer. He went down to the chilies and got the tortilla soup and he traded everything that he could have for this fleeting temporary moment. And every single one of us is part of the human condition. We understand what this looks like, uh, when, when our sin, because uh, so much sin, so much of it, not all of it, but so much sin, it, it's really taken us further away from holiness and, and that unshakable kingdom in a fleeting and temporary moment. Now, the kind of thing where the regret sets in so quickly, where it's over so fast, and, and the writer wants to remind us of that fact, it's just not worth it. So, so really, the Hebrews writer is saying, and then returning kind of to a metaphor from last week, say, what, what kind of kingdom do you want? What do you want to be a part of? He talks about two mountains. He calls them the mountain of fear and the mountain of joy. And again, he uses history to really ask his audience, which way do you want to live? In fear? The kind of fear that's caused by this agreement that you used to live under? This agreement that the Jewish people had with God, one of the old covenants that said, we can keep all the rules and God, you will be our God. And constantly living under this idea that they couldn't, right? Or, or do you do you want that that shakeable, easily over quickly kind of life, or do you want something different? And the other choice is what we see Hebrews set up as the opposite of fear, joy. And so the question is, do you want to live that way? It's the ability to rise above these moments of being shaken, to to see the way that God works is that He is near all the time. That even when it seems like life is falling apart, he's right here with us. That's the new covenant. This idea that we keep coming back to in Hebrews that's so important for them to know and for us to know. That that Jesus and his crucifixion and then his resurrection through spilled blood and broken body has opened the door for us to have a God that's always with us. That always cares even when things start to shake in our kingdoms. Because fear gives way to joy. And then we choose the kingdom that lasts forever, the one that can never be torn down. So to circle back to it, here's where we're told this, that that powerful statement from the beginning of tonight. Therefore, because we can choose joy over fear, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Time. There's some really simple instructions really here. The writer of Hebrews is giving us this encouragement that God is worthy of giving our lives to, of worshiping, and that because he's with us, we don't have to fear that setbacks are God punishing us, but instead it's him teaching us, it's him helping us to grow in the midst of the things that we encounter. God wants the best for us like any good father would. The new covenant, uh, this agreement that Jesus paid it all, and that we need to live into and follow is the best evidence that there is for that. God wants the best for us. An unshakable kingdom opens up the possibilities for what kind of life we are going to live from there on, though. So again, if it's one fueled by joy, uh, we should see evidence of it in our lives. In the final chapter of Hebrews, we are shown some of the ways that this joy plays out for someone that's fueled by an unshakable kingdom. It's a kingdom that's characterized with care and with love. So our writer says it like this, says, 
Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Now, that's such a great kind of summary statement. Uh, it, also, it also serves as kind of an introductory statement to the end. But the writer is saying, I'm going back to these angels. If you missed the early weeks of the study, the, these Jewish Christians were kind of obsessed with angels the way that our culture is with Kardashians or something. And they thought these things are so amazing and wonderful. Why can't we just talk more about those? And the writer wrote this, this letter partially to convince them that those objects of fascination aren't, aren't better than Jesus. They're actually lower than Jesus and that Jesus is so much better than the things that they worship. But it was a brilliant way really for the writer to, to, to motivate them to love strangers by telling them, Hey, you might accidentally be serving one of these objects of fascination. And he goes on, he says, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. This kingdom that cannot be shaken is a kingdom where the command from Jesus to love others as you love yourself is more than just an idea. It's a reality. In the unshakable kingdom, it's real life. And specifically here, at the time of this writing, Christians were being thrown in prison in order for the Roman Empire to try to squash the momentum that they had. So they made it legal and then they threw them in prison anyway, right? It was also because the Roman Empire had money on the mind. And they want to make sure that this money-making operation of these temples that were made to the pagan gods of Rome continued to bring in revenue. So mistreatment and suffering was everywhere. The idea that these Christians would be afraid of that, but they'd also know people who had befallen that fate would be really real. This call for the follower of Jesus is to remember those who have it worse than you do and to try to bring them some relief, uh, to, to try to love them the way that you would want to be loved if you were in their place. And I think that still stands today. Then it gets even more personally practical. He tells us, honor marriage, keep purity and focus. The, the audience of this letter, they lived in this culture. Let's see if we can get our head around the culture they lived in real quick. They lived in this culture where marriages had become kind of a throwaway, where it wasn't a big deal, right? Where affairs were normal and even expected, or where sex was made into an idol that people believed was the ultimate thing in life. And in short, they lived in a culture that sounds a little bit like ours, right? And attached to, the, to that, the writer says this, he says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has never, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Sex and money are two drivers that take us from the unshakable kingdom and push us into one of fear. They push us away from the concept of holiness and they're linked, right? The Hebrews writer wants us wants to leave us at the end of this letter with as many encouragements and lessons as possible, including this, including the idea that the shakable kingdom is one where we're focused on all these temporal things, but the unshakable kingdom is one where we focus on righteousness and holiness and, and honestly, heaven. Uh, the writer goes on to highlight that any leader in your life, at home, at work, even at church, don't let them lead you into strange places with strange teachings. Instead, examine whether they're worth following and make changes if they're not. Because life's way, way too short to waste uh, 
allowing wolves to pretend to be caring leaders at work, at home, at church, wherever you go, right? We're told in relation to this idea that a bad leader, a bad leader, it stands in contrast to this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday as today as forever. Good leaders in any arena of life will seek to be the same, right? So I want to start to close tonight, <clears throat> to close this whole study of Hebrews by reminding us of why this letter was written in the first place. This letter was written to demonstrate that Jesus is better than anything, that Jesus is better than everything. And I know for me, I personally, I could fall into a place where I think, man, if I was just loved the way I want to be, if I was admired the way I want to be, if I had uh, if I if I had all the money in the world, I didn't have, have to have to worry about money. Then life would be perfect, right? I, I I start to think everything would be okay if these certain dominoes just fell. In all reality, though, the reminder here in Hebrews is that that same quote that just got shared that that came from the book of Joshua, and it's God talking to this young leader Joshua who was replacing Moses with these complaining, bitter people on this 40-year journey. And God told Joshua and reminds us now through Hebrews that no matter what happens, no matter how tough things get, no matter if hope seems completely lost, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I will never allow you to be shaken. Jesus will never change. So Kindred, let's live like that. Let's live as if we truly believe that we are in an unshakable kingdom, that it can carry us from fear to joy, that we can live in joy uh, up the right mountain, right? That offers us the thing that we want more than anything else. The stability of a kingdom that cannot be shaken, but it just pushes us to greater and greater things. I wanna pray some of the closing verses from Hebrews over us to close up this series. So, Kindred, let's pray together. God, I love you and I thank you for our church, for the people here tonight, the people who couldn't be here tonight, for the people who make up this place where we truly believe that we belong to each other because we belong to you. And God, I pray for Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Kindred, I'll see you next week.